Hey, I'm Pastor Joel, and I just want to say thank you for downloading or streaming this message today. My prayer for you is that you're blessed by the content that you hear. As a church, our desire is to make disciples of Jesus, and we do that by helping people to trust and follow Him in every aspect of their daily life. So if this is something that blesses you, we just hope that you'll feel free to share this with others so that they might be encouraged and challenged by it as well. The story of David and Goliath is not the only time the Philistines caused problems for the Israelites. If you rewind the story a bit, there's one battle where the two face off with each other and the Philistines beat the Israelites pretty badly. So the Israelites regroup and they pull out the Ark of the Lord. This terrifies the Philistines because they know there's something holy about the Ark of the Lord. But then when they go to battle for a second time, the Philistines win again, this time killing 30,000 of the Israelite army. On top of that, they steal the Ark of the Lord. You can imagine how demoralizing and humiliating that would have been for the nation of Israel. So by the time you get to David and Goliath, there's something that's been building there. This situation was bigger than just a nine-foot giant. And that's the case with a lot of giants. They come with a history. It's rarely the case that what we're dealing with is a one-time, one-place scenario. No, we're looking for someone who will avenge our past and liberate our future. Welcome to part five of Goliath Must Fall. Hey, uh, good morning to you. Uh, my name is Scotty Dancy. Uh, I know that there's a lot of you may not recognize me. I am a member here at Grace, uh, but I think uh, I had that same problem earlier, uh, that, that I am a member here, but uh, it's been a while since I've been here. I think I've, maybe we've, through the last year, we've been here maybe a couple of times. Um, but uh, hey, it is good to be back here this morning, uh, that when uh, Joel called me, uh, and asked me to speak. You know, he's called me to speak before, and I said, yes, that'd be great. Let me, let me pray about it. And he said, well, normally he would call me, and he would just give me free reign. I could talk about whatever I wanted, uh, and, uh, and so I would n- normally choose a gospel passage. And he said, well, Scott, it's going to be a little different this time. Uh, I- I'm actually going to give you a passage and a topic. And I said, okay, what is it? And he said, it's First Samuel. Okay, th- th- that's great. And he and he said, and the topic is anger. And uh, I kind of was quiet and said, okay, I'll pray about it. Uh, I got off the phone and I called my wife, Dana, and said, hey, uh, Joel has asked me to speak about anger. And she chuckled. Uh, <laughs> and she said, wait a second, he asked you? Uh, it's, you know, like I- I've known Joel for, a while, uh, Joel for a few years and it's like, Clearly, he knows. I was like, maybe he's asked everybody else, and I'm the last that he would ask. Uh, uh, and then I went into the Young Life office where I work with Amanda Timms, and I said, hey, you know, she comes to church here too. And I said, Joel asked me to speak on anger. And she too chuckled. Uh, and she said, he asked you? Uh, hey, but Dana, when, when she said, you should do it. Like, you know, like, you should do it. Uh, like, there was a... A video, like when quarantine first came out, it was like a, a dad was like, should I A, so somebody gave him the option, should I A, spend time with my family or B, and he said, B, 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 I'll choose B. Uh, it was like that. It was like, 
Yes, Scotty, you should do it. You should, you should speak on anger. Uh, but I do not feel equipped or qualified to be standing here this morning talking about anger. Uh, and then as I prayed and as I said yes, I said there's only one way that I can do this. Is it, that I will walk through the passage with you and, and make my points, but I also have to pull the curtain back and reveal the ugly parts, the ugly truths about my life. And for those of you who know me well, uh, that you love me already and will extend grace to me. And for those of you who don't know me, and I am the Young Life Area Director, my, I, my ministry is with high school kids and middle school kids all around our community. I'm gonna ask you to extend me grace as I reveal how the sausage is made in, in my heart. Uh, and some of it is not pretty. I don't know what is going on with this. Uh, I'm just gonna hold it and see if it does better holding. Um, hey, so uh, I'm gonna go ahead and concede that, that I am not winning Father of the Year this year, uh, that, that it is, I'm out of the running, I'm taking myself out of the running. Um, and uh, if there wasn't something, you know, long before it was June was what disqualified me, uh, is that we had bought my daughter, May Grace, a car. And I got the phone call that no father wants is that uh, my wife, Dana, called me and said, hey, May Grace has had a wreck and uh, she is at home and she's really upset. Can you go console her? And it was absolutely like I, I was with a group of high school boys. I was leading a Bible study. I handed my le uh, Bible to another leader and said, hey, I got to go. My daughter's been in a wreck. And I get to my house and my daughter is sitting in the driveway sobbing. And immediately my heart went out to her. What I wish I could say that I did is that I wish that I could say I went and put my arms around her and hugged her and said, I love you. I'm glad that you're okay. This car can be replaced. That's what I wish that I had said. My heart and compassion went out to her until I saw the side of her car. And it was demolished. And something from the compassion snapped. And it was fury. I was angry at her. And I started yelling at my sobbing daughter. And words started to come out of my mouth of the four-letter variety that I was informed that I couldn't say here today. And so, so these words are coming out and I'm yelling at my daughter. I can't even look at her. Every time I look at her, I just got angrier and angrier. And I called my wife and said, this isn't working. You have to come console her. And I left. And for the next few days, anytime I would try to circle back and talk about what had happened, there would be an argument that ensued where I would end up yelling again and again. I can't understand. I can't explain why this anger was coming out. I had had a wreck at 16 years old. It was my fault. So a few days later goes by and that we have dinner with our friends, the Tims, and Keith uh, takes Mary Grace uh, puts his arm around her and says, Mary Grace, I understand how you feel. I had a wreck when I was 16 
and my dad wouldn't speak to me for a week. And Mary Grace said, I wish my dad wouldn't have spoken to me for a week because he just yelled at me. That kind of pierces my heart. And, um, but I also have a son, Ben. Ben has played baseball for me for years. And I am a competitive, a driven person. That Ben plays baseball to have fun, I play and coach to win. And winning is fun to me. If I'm not winning, I'm not having fun. But my son would just simply play to have fun. And if we lost, he'd go home and no big deal. Like, he had fun. He played baseball. If we lost, I'd go home and stew and be angry. And it is, I have been notorious for when he makes a mistake to kick a bucket of baseballs or to throw my hat in anger. A few weeks ago, he confided to me and his mother that he said, you know, Dad, sometimes after games, I ride home with Mom. I'm like, yeah, I just thought he was just sharing the love. He rode with me. He would ride home with his mom. He said, no, I ride home with her because I don't want to ride home with you because you're angry. Again, that just pierces my heart. If I'm being honest, that's not the father that I want to be. And I wish I could say, you know what, that, that's, maybe that's misconstrued. That's not who I am. But it is. It's, it's the ugly truth. It's the ugly truth of that is who I am. That this anger in me creates this other personality, like the incredible Hulk that comes out of me. And, and sometimes I can't rein it in. That's not who I want to be known as. That's not, that's not embodying Jesus Christ. But I have to look at that giant in the face and say, that's the reality of it. That is who I am. It's not who I want to be, but it is who I am. Something needs to change. I need to change. I need God to change me. Maybe you can relate. My, my hope for me sharing some of my stories, and I'll share some more, but my hope is, is that maybe somewhere along the line that you can relate. It is, if you, it, anger is a giant that you deal with. Hey, I want you to turn to 1 Samuel chapter 17. We're going to look at verses 20 through 28. Early in the morning, David left the flock in the care of a shepherd, loaded up and set out as Jesse had directed. He reached the camp as the army was going out to its battle positions, shouting the war cry. Israel and the Philistines were drawing up their lines, facing each other. David left his things with the keeper of supplies, ran to the battle lines, and asked his brothers how they were. As he was talking with them, Goliath, the Philistine champion from Gath, stepped out from his lines and shouted his usual defiance, and David heard it. Whenever the Israelites saw the man, they all fled from him in great fear. Now, the Israelites had been saying, do you see how this man keeps coming out? He comes out to defy Israel. The king will give great wealth to the man who kills him. 
He will also give him his daughter in marriage and will exempt his family from taxes in Israel. David asked the men standing near him, what will be done for the man who kills this Philistine and removes this disgrace from Israel? Who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? They repeated to him what they had been saying and told him, this is what will be done for the man who kills him. When Eliab, David's oldest brother, heard him speaking with the men, he burned with anger at him and asked, why have you come down here? And with whom did you leave those few sheep in the wilderness? I know how conceited you are and how wicked your heart is. You came down only to watch the battle. Hey, Eliab, the oldest brother, uh, it says he burned with anger. Hey, listen to to his words once again. Why have you come down here? And with whom have... In whom did you leave those few sheep in the wilderness? He's ridiculing him. Like he's calling him a sheep herder. Like, you know, like those few sheep that you keep up with. And then it turns much more personal. I know how conceited you are and how wicked your heart is. You came down only to watch the battle. This is David's oldest brother. They are words of deep resentment for his brother. Uh, Louis Giglio in the book, you know, the book we're reading, Goliath Must Fall, there's a quote that, that stuck out to me. It says, most anger is rooted in some form of rejection, something that was or wasn't said, something that was repeatedly done to us, something that we deserved but we were deprived of, a hurt, a wound, a stab. Hey, we've got to turn back the clock a little bit and, and see that there's history here, uh, that there's a story here an underlying issue that that is bubbling out at this moment. We hear this anger and this resentment come pouring out of Eliab. But let's look back to what what, what started it. Is that uh, Samuel, the prophet of God, came uh, to Jesse and said, hey, God has sent me. One of your sons will be anointed the next king of Israel. And so the first thing that, that Jesse does, he brings out his oldest, Eliab. And Samuel looks at him and says, that's not him. You know, the firstborn, there's honor and prestige bestowed upon the firstborn son of a family in this culture. And so I imagine everybody thought it would be the firstborn, Eliab. And here is Eliab. And Samuel says, no, that's not him. And it goes each son all the way down to David. And then David is anointed, the baby brother. Can you imagine being the oldest, expecting the honor and prestige, but being passed over, being rejected for the youngest? I imagine that in Eliab's heart, he felt unwanted and unworthy. Like he began to hear the dialogue in his head that says, you don't have what it takes to be king. You're not good enough. You're not smart enough. You're not powerful enough. You're just not enough. And at that, the resentment began to build. And it wasn't David's choice to be king. It was God's choice. Maybe Eliab had enough anger and resentment towards God, but it comes pouring out to David. See, David was the object of his resentment. 
the object of his bitterness. You know, we don't know what the relationship was like leading up, but I imagine it was cold because his, his anger comes pouring out. See, God had a plan for David to be king. See, God also had a plan for Eliab. Eliab just couldn't see it because he wanted David's plan. He wanted to be king. But God had a plan for Eliab. It was different. Hey, I'm going to share another story. Pull the curtain back a little more. Uh, that I grew up in Knoxville in an inner city community uh, and that, that we were lower middle class, if not just below middle class, you know, that, that money, we didn't have a lot of money. I didn't know that we were poor until I got to college and realized, oh, people have new cars and, and they're, they're not taking student loans the way I was taking student loans. Um, and so back then, my definition of success was that I wanted to go to college, be the first person in my family to graduate from college and get a college degree and make a lot of money and be powerful and influential. That's what I wanted. That was my idea of success. And so that's what drove me while I was in college. But along the way, I began a relationship with Christ. And the idea of, of money, I didn't have to have a lot of money, like material possessions, but I still wanted to be successful. I still wanted to have prestige and respect, and I still wanted to, to, to be influential. And so my definition really didn't change, but maybe my perspective did. And so as I entered Young Life Ministry, uh, is that I wanted to be successful. And, and, and I had a plan, is that I would move to Kingsport and be the Young Life Area Director for about five years. And I would turn the ministry around there and it would be thriving so well that they would ask me to go to a larger town and be a metro director, uh, like of Nashville or Knoxville. And, and I would go there and be successful and, and be influential there. The ministry would grow and then they would ask me to be a regional director of a larger space. And lar you know, I, just, I was gonna climb the corporate ladder and be successful. That's what I had in mind. That, that's what I thought God was calling me to almost 20 some years ago. It didn't go according to plan. It, it is that when we moved to Kingsport in 2003, ministry was hard. There wasn't a lot of money. There wasn't a lot of people. And that regularly I felt like I was failing in my job. And there's another giant that I deal with is the fear of failure, and that's another sermon. But I felt like I was failing. And all this while that I thought that I would be getting these promotions, these opportunities, my peers who had been on Young Life staff the same amount of time I had, they began to get those opportunities. And they began to get those promotions. And I wasn't getting them. And this resentment and this bitterness built up in me. Is one is because things weren't going the way I'd planned, but then also I felt like maybe I'd, I was being overlooked and it was my boss's fault to why I wasn't getting these opportunities and these other people were. It was all about my perspective. Is that I thought God's plan was one thing and it was something else. And so I 
but I carried this anger and resentment for these other people and it harmed those relationships. But it also, it caused me to take out anger on my wife unnecessarily. Like it often she would say, Scotty, I am not the enemy. Why are you angry with me? And, and, and it, that would stop me most of the time in my tracks is you're right, you're not the enemy, but I'm still mad and I'm still frustrated. And I couldn't put a finger on, on what it was or how to get rid of it. So I think I have a pretty good feeling of what Eliab was thinking. Now, my brother wasn't anointed king of Israel, but I had this bitter uh, and resent, bitterness and resentment that had been building in me for years. I almost walked away from Young Life 10 years ago. I thought, okay, this, I can't be successful in this I'm going to go be successful in something else. And God would not let me walk away. I'll never forget when I, I told Dana, I was shaving that morning. I said, hey, I've called. I'm going to go meet with my boss. I'm resigning today. And she broke down in tears. I, I thought she would be happy that I wouldn't be working nights anymore, that, that I, would, I would have more, more time in the evenings. She broke down. She says, you can't do it. Like, God has called you to do this. I couldn't see it because I was so angry. And I'm so glad that she stopped me from resigning that day. Because see, here's the thing is that I, I began to let go of some of that anger and resentment. I got it off my chest. I had a conversation with my boss. I don't know how I didn't get fired that day that we had the conversation. Like, I spewed all of that anger out. And I think it speaks to his character why he didn't fire me that day. Because in the same situation, I probably would have fired the person speaking to me the way that I was speaking to him. But by his grace, he allowed me to keep doing my job. And 10 years later, I can say that I enjoy my job now more than I have at any point. And that my perspective of success is different. Is that it's not about success for me anymore. Sure, I want to have an impact. And, and it is a joy for me to do ministry with my daughter and her friends and my son and his friends. I'm having as much fun doing this as I've ever had it. But my anger almost caused me to walk away because I couldn't see God's plan for my life. And it didn't fit into the box that I had created of what success and life really meant. I had to redefine what success is. It's not a job title or position. I almost let the evil one steal away my joy. And he wants to steal your joy as well. Hey, and as I thought about like, where do we go? Like, yeah, here, I just threw all this. Here's my anger, and here's the ways that I've dealt with it. Here's my issues. Now what, Scotty? How do we land this plane? See, a misconception that I had growing up, I always felt like God was always angry with me. Like he had his checklist of when I would do wrong, and his anger just kept building up against me. But I've come to understand that he's not angry with me. 
let me repeat that. He's not angry with me. I'm confident of that, fully confident. And I think somebody here this morning needs to know he's not angry at you. 100% sure that he's not angry with you. How can I be so confident? The cross. That's how I can be so confident. Louis writes, because all the righteousness, because, of, because all the righteous anger and holy wrath of God landed on Jesus at the cross. God's anger has been satisfied. We run to Jesus to find a covering, a relief. You want to know how God's not angry at you? Is look at the cross. That he poured all of his wrath at the sin and the brokenness of humanity. He poured all of that onto Jesus on the cross. John 19.30, as Jesus has been hanging on the cross for hours, right before he takes his last breath, he utters the words, it is finished. See, it was, it was a, um, uh, just a standard practice that when you did something to get put in jail, say Scotty Dancy stole a loaf of bread and that they would sentence me to whatever the sentence, say three months, and I'm in the cell, and above the cell, they would write, Scotty Dancy stole a loaf of bread. And three months later, they would come and that they would take this stamp and they would stamp it above the cell and it says, it is finished. And they would open the cell and I would be free. When they stamped that above that cell, it is finished. It meant the price has been paid. You are free. So Jesus says these words. It wasn't just a, hey, I am done you know, I'm going to die. It, it had meaning. It is finished. The price has been paid. The debt has been canceled. You are free to live life, to live in a relationship with, with Jesus Christ, to, to, that God's no longer angry, that we could be once again reunited with God in communion the way that we were designed to be. He's not mad. That that Romans 5, 8 says, God demonstrates his love for us in this, that while we were sinners, Christ died for us. While we were sinners, while we had nothing to offer, he died for us. I don't know how many of you like math. I'm not a huge mathematician, uh, but I like geometry. Uh, I like the proofs in geometry. Uh, and so I think as I thought through this right here, it is that, uh, and I got some funny looks. I, like that, that's the way my mind worked. I like proving things. Um, is, that, uh, is that I believe, like, it, you know, like in geometry is if A and B equals this, if, if A and B equals C, and then you got the next one, well, then this must be true. And then this must be true. As I was working through this, it, it just seemed, okay, with God loves us and he's not mad at us. What does that mean? His, his wrath has been satisfied. It is over and done with. Because he loves us, it sets us free to love others. John 1, 4, 9, 1 John 4, 4, 19 says, we love because he first loved us. 
I am capable of loving other people only because God has loved me. I am capable of forgiving other people because God has forgiven me. The same is true for you. And so I have carried this anger, this frustration, this resentment, this bitterness in my life for far too long. And I sense that God is calling me to let go. But see, that's the problem. There have been times that I've enjoyed holding on to it, that, that I have wanted to hold on to it far too greater than I should have. See, that there's been times in my life where I've held on to anger because I was trying to punish the other person that had made me angry and thinking, this will show them. I'll just be angry at them. And often the person that I was angry at never had an idea. That, that really, I, I thought that I was holding them captive with my anger. But the truth is, the only prisoner was me. That I was creating this prison cell for me in my anger, in my bitterness. And so that there's some anger that I think some of us have held on to, that it's become comfortable. It's become like a neighbor, like something that, that we want to keep around. You know, that, that when I have dealt with this fear of failure, I called a friend of mine and I said, what do I do? I am sick of it. I'm tired of looking at it. I don't want to even think about it. And he laughed and he said, Scotty, there's nothing you can do about it. And I said, well, wait a second. That's not, like, wait, like, I want you to give me the formula. Steps A, B, C, D, and E. And I think the same is true. I, I don't want to be angry. I, I don't want to, to cause rifts in my relationships because of this stuff, this sin bubbling up out of me. What do we do about that? My friend gave me the advice. He said, Scotty, he said, I have a friend who's an alcoholic, and every morning he has to fall before God and says, God, have mercy on me today. And I think about me and the giants that I face. What do I do? Is that I think I fall before God and say, God, have mercy on me. Like, I have to ask God, God, pry my fingers off of the things that I'm holding on to that you don't want me to hold on to. Pry my arms off of the things that I'm squeezing because I don't want to give them up. See, I think God is calling me to, to give it up, to face the giant and let it go. But it is far greater th than what I can do. I cannot do it on my own. You cannot do it on your own. But there is hope and there is a plan. See, God designed us that we would live life to the full. And I'm convinced that living life to the full is not being angry, is not having a temper that just drops at the quick of, uh, at the quick of a hat. There's a plan. And I think in place of my anger and my bitterness, and my resentment, he wants to replace it with other things, such as love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. I'm not there yet, but 
but I feel like there's, there's progress being made in my heart already. Uh, that last Tuesday, it felt like a Monday to me, but last Tuesday, I had a, it was like a Monday of Mondays, but it was Tuesday, uh, is that first thing during the morning is that my transmission went out in my truck. And the truck that I've owned for about six months it's also the second vehicle in six months that the transmission has gone out. And so normally that would have sent me over the edge with four letter words flying out of my mouth. Uh, but I just thought, oh, well, there's nothing I can do. Uh, so I just pulled over and called a tow truck. They came and took it to the car dealership. That afternoon I had baseball practice. And while I'm dragging the infield of the baseball field. Um, the mower runs out of gas. I don't have gas. And so normally that would have uh, sent me over the edge and I would have been kicking and throwing things. And I just said, oh, well, I got to go get gas. Like, I, I'm not, there's, those aren't victories. Like, I have a long way still to go. But it steps in the right direction. And I like the peace that it brings instead of just flying off the handle. And there's a, there's a pretty good chance I may fly off the handle in the next two or three days. But my hope is, is I will continue to seek God and fall before him and say, have mercy on me. That's my hope. What you have taken from this morning is that, that as you face, that if you are struggling with the giant of anger, is that God doesn't want you to hold on to it. He wants you to let it go. And it may require him to pry it out of your fingers, to pry it out of your hands. But it requires a willingness on your part to say, I recognize that giant and I don't want to look at it anymore. God, will you please take it away? And it probably won't be an overnight process. I, I wish that I could snap my finger and I no longer deal with anger. But I think it's going to be a journey for me and it will be a journey for you as well. Thanks so much for checking out our message today. We hope you are challenged and blessed by it. We want to invite you to come and worship with us in person if you live in the Tri-Cities area. We meet on Sunday mornings at 9 and 1045 a.m. at One Fellowship Point in Kingsport, Tennessee. You can also get more information about us from our website or our mobile app. Have a great day.